Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Mark. And I'm Pastor Zach. And today we are discussing the topic of Christian joy. And as we get into the topic, I would guess that some people would look at the description here of the podcast and see joy as such a large issue, a large topic to cover, that it would be maybe something that you wouldn't be that excited about learning about. It's very likely that people would approach something like a podcast, even a Christian podcast, hoping to find hot topics every week, um, takes on what's happening in the world, and one could look at a topic of joy and think that that looks a little mundane. But uh, Yeah, or trite, or even just uh, generic. Mm -hmm. And so we want to start just by noting that this is something that you need. This is something that every Christian should be exhibiting in your life. Christ has come. Christ has died for our sins. Christ is risen, and he has ascended to God's right hand. He's coming again. The Christian should think on these very wonderful truths and be filled with awe of God, with joy. And we're going to be talking today about what that Christian joy looks like. Uh, We'll be looking at some biblical examples, some calls to joy, and uh, certainly delving into some other Reformed theology also to find out what the Reformers have taught about um, living with this this full-orbed happiness in God. Now, of course, it's not just emotional happiness, but joy is manifest in a cheerful countenance, in a positive attitude, in hmm. optimism about the kingdom of God. And so uh, the Christian should show these things by how we talk, how we act, um, by the types of things that we even like to think about. So uh, hopefully that is a little bit of the preamble here of what we're going to get into, and that would be attractive to any Christian person. Yeah, so joy is central to the Christian life. In fact, it's one of the uh, fruit of the Spirit to have joy. It's it's a marker of the gospel. Uh, and mm-hmm. so we we think it's important, especially as pastors, to talk about joy uh, in our world because— People very much today, and even in the church, live lives based on fear and anxiety. Always thinking that there's a looming threat, especially to their religion or to their Their freedoms, their their rights. And so there is a lot of uh, felt fear. There's a sort of ambient anxiety. Sometimes it's not even ambient. It's just anxiety. Uh, And so we want to dive into how Christians should be joyful and why the gospel 
uh, brings joy and, and manifests joy in the life of the believer. And mm-hmm. so we also want to talk, touch on uh, how pas- as pastors, we seek to bring joy to the life of people. Mm-hmm. That is part and parcel of our goal because our goal is to preach the gospel mm-hmm. and to make it known to people that they may receive the joy that the gospel brings. And so this is an interesting part of our ministry because often today in the church, there are different ways of doing ministry and of teaching Hmm. the word of God and of teaching theology in ways that you may look at and not think are necessarily joyful. Mm -hmm. Um, you, there's, there's different ways of, of passing on the faith that sometimes pass on the orthodox beliefs of the faith, but fail to pass on the orthopraxy of the faith or the ethos of the faith, which is really important. We're not just supposed to be teaching people a body of belief, but we're also uh, trying to show them the way of Christ. And the way of Christ is, as we'll see, one of joy. Yeah, and... I think that gets right into what we could start with, which is some other ways of doing theology, of living your Christian life that kind of compete with the joyful Christian life that we're called to have by Christ through the scriptures. Hmm. Um, I, I think of one particular that is pretty prevalent in our context, uh, which would be more the stoicism, the hmm, mm-hmm. the emotionless approach, um, quite frankly, the uncomfortable attitude towards joy or high emotions, particularly in worship, but mm-hmm. um, at funerals, uh, when someone dies, there being a little bit of pride in a lack of emotion, and so that... Yeah. appears on the downside, you would say, in sadness and not being able to show sadness, but it appears on the the upside as well of trying to tamper your uh, elevated emotions, which could get a little bit out of control. Hmm. Um, and uh, I, this, is, this is, like I said, a prevalent thing in our culture. And the way to the way to address that is not just to say have joy you pagans you stoics <laughs> you know it's uh yeah. not really rebuke maybe as much as probably to exhibit joy um mm-hmm. jonathan edwards said that in his preaching he always hoped to elevate the affections of his listeners with the truth hmm. and so that is uh that should be a goal of the preacher certainly Jesus made people happy when he healed them. Uh, John and uh, Peter and John, when they're going to the temple to pray and they heal this man outside the temple, and what does he do? He goes running and leaping and praising God uh, at the top of his lungs and causing a stir in in the temple. He, this healing brings immediate automatic joy into uh, the lives of these people who have been physically healed, but how much greater should our joy be having yeah. been spiritually renewed? Yeah, so the, only the opposite end of the spectrum of doing doing pastoral theology in a stoic way it can also be done in a pretty frivolous way mm-hmm. or in a just sort of, uh, I don't know, not, not very serious way. Mm-hmm. That's something that we want to contrast is 
is uh, sort of fake joy with serious joy. I think for the Christian, joy is a serious thing. Uh, so we should take joy seriously. Mm. But it sometimes is, you know, with especially in the sort of megachurch world, theology is presented in a way that's sort of, uh, it's not taken super seriously. It's not given in a weighty way. And so maybe there's so much joy that there's not actually any true joy. It's just a sort of glib happiness. Mm. Uh, and so this this also is a little bit prevalent in different parts of our, of our context, um, speaking just about our local uh, churches around mm-hmm. the area uh, in a hundred hundred mile diameter. Um, <laughs> we we do see this sort of thing, and even online, you'll see it with lots of other churches too. And then another, maybe another way would be the political way. Everything that the pastor does is for a sort of political agenda, and this doesn't bring joy if the mm-hmm. pastor is using the pulpit to advance whatever their political agenda is, whether it's. You know, it's uh, racial justice or whether it's uh, anti-abortion, which just this last Sunday, we 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 brought up Sanctity of Life Sunday. So we talked about that and we would be pro-life, obviously, very strongly. But if Uh, that's what we're all about is sort of these latest political causes, it can just feel like you're in a battle all the time. Yeah, the the problems are always there. It's just perpetual problems and there's not really much reason to, to celebrate or to feel the joy of the Lord. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's different ways of pastors doing it. Another way sort of related to the stoic way is doing theology bombastically, mm. um, always picking fights, always <laughs> making everything into a, a cage match. Mm. Um, and so that's similar to the political way too, because mm-hmm. there's always problems and you're consumed by the problems uh, that you see. And so, that is something to steer clear of as well. Yeah, and the theologians that I'm really drawn to are those who really are communicating a thrill, a joy in the the acts of God and the works of God um, far more than they are just responding to hmm. immediate political situations, um, different things happening uh, in their culture. They, are, they have a... a far broader view of history, a broader view of the church, a broader view even of um, how the gospel is applied throughout all generations. They Mm -hmm. see that God is moving and working wonderfully, blessing his people with everything they need for godliness and salvation. Hmm. And there's a real love for that in the theologians of the Reformed tradition, Um, certainly the good ones. You can see that coming through. And you'll hear it in good preaching. Um, There won't just be kind of the angst-ridden minister who experienced, you know, something not going his way, and he's just going to bring that right into the pulpit. But there's a a joy that is far higher than that um, among a good minister, among a good Reformed theologian, and really should also be there in the life of the person in the pew as well. So a, a good theologian, then, you would say, is somebody who can always see how the doctrine leads to doxology. Yeah, yeah. And can always good. make that, that line, that jump from going from discussing the things of the Lord to worshiping God for his good works and for who he is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so there's <laughs> there's definitely theologians who are 
who are better at that than others. But absolutely, I think maybe even before we get there, we should stop to ask the question, is what we're saying really derived from Scripture? Is, is, a, is there such thing as a theology of joy? And does the Bible, does the Bible teach that, that joy is really this great thing that we're making it out to be? Yeah, that's a essential question, of course, and perhaps the most well-known text about the importance of joy in the life of the believer is Nehemiah 8, 9 through 12, which um, contains the, the wonderful reminder that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Um, so after Nehemiah has read the book of the law, um, he has he is leading um, God's people. He, he after they've been restored from exile, and he's reminding them what to do now that they've returned to their homeland. And it can be easy to get distracted. Uh, it can be easy to then trust in themselves for their own strength. Um, but he says, "No, do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength." And so. Um, that's in response to the law, actually. The joy of the Lord is your yeah. strength to follow the law of God. And often we separate those two things. You would have maybe the joy that's sort of all about feeling and experience, and the law of God is about cold rules that exist <laughs> outside of outside of you that are sort of imposed upon you. But um, the joy of the Lord is my strength is in the context of receiving God's law. We have his strength because we love him, because we're joyful in his salvation, to live like he wants us to. And that protects our joy, actually, as well, when we live in his strength by his law. Yeah, I, I mentioned this passage, actually, a couple weeks ago in our part one episode on the CRC. And mm-hmm. I mentioned how the reading and the teaching of the law in this context made the people weep. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, three times in this passage, Nehemiah tells the people, do not weep. He even says in verse 10, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the mm-hmm. Lord is your strength. Mm-hmm. So three times in, in verses eight or nine through 12 here in this chapter uh, that's pointed out that holiness and the, this is the words of Derek Kidner, a commentator, a very good commentator who I love. He says three times it is pointed out in this passage that holiness and gloom go ill together, Hmm. which I think is really amazing. And uh, Hmm. that's a really good thing to remember. Holiness and gloom don't work together. Uh, They are not, they are not friends. Holiness and joy go together. Yeah. And it's not just for our sake that there's going to be these, this competition um, between, uh, our feelings and our desire to uh, do the will of God. Hopefully the person who is born again, regenerate is in the will of God and is finding joy. And that is nourishing to your soul, Hmm. but Mm -hmm. it's for our neighbor as well. So that Mm -hmm. our neighbor doesn't see that we find the laws of God burdensome, but our neighbor sees that um, a family is laughing together. A family is Mm -hmm. taking them not taking themselves too seriously is finding joy outside of themselves in the Lord. And so that's what our neighbor needs to see of us. Um, not just that we have the truth, but that because we have the truth, we're full of joy. 
So I think that at times the second portion of that equation is left off, that we got the truth, the truth is going to win, which is true, Hmm. but hopefully that also translates into uh, levity, Mm -hmm. um, contentment, um, a sense of yeah. real confidence in God. That All totally. of those words really describe Christian joy. This isn't just smiling all the time and laughing all the time. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a sense of uh, being able to go through life confident, assured of salvation and of God's good plan. Yeah, this sort of reminds me of the, the transcendentals, maybe to get a little bit philosophical for a second. Um, we want to convince people of the truth of God, God's word and of the gospel. We also want to convince them of the goodness by showing how the life of the Christian and the life that they're called to live is a good thing and it's for people's good. But we also need to show, thirdly, how it's beautiful. So truth, yeah. goodness, and beauty. And that beauty is shown in the joy of God's people. Yeah. Uh, and so people can see that joy and they may wonder why in this dark and gloomy world are those people joyful is their joy fake or is it based on something true yeah and i another text i love that refers to the joy that the christian is invited into is in matthew 25 23 where um jesus is sort of concluding a parable saying his master said to him well done good and faithful servant this is i think of the stewards and the talents right Mm. um and he said this this steward this servant has been faithful over a little And then he gets this wonderful promise. I will set you over much. Now enter into the joy of your master. And so we're entering into the joy of God when we uh, receive his care, his love, his grace. um, And we're entering into the joy of God as we remember that and and live in it. Mm -hmm. And so God has joy. God is love and when we say god is love that doesn't mean that god just does loving things but that um he is love and so to enter into his love is of course also to increase in joy wow what what a powerful thing to think that god is joyful yeah god is not a god of gloom it would be easier to think man god god knows everything that's going wrong in the world god sees (laughs) everything every sin every act of injustice, every time somebody is oppressed, every time somebody is murdered, all of these things God sees and knows, even when they're done in secret. So you'd, you'd be, it'd be easy to think that God you know, must just be depressed and sad mm-hmm. all the time. Everything seems to be going bad in the world, but no, God is a God of joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like the uh, sort of the doxology in the beginning of 1 Timothy. Um, it's in... First Timothy 1, verse 11, he, Paul writes this, In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. This use of the word blessed is one of the unique words for blessed. It's not the normal word for blessed used throughout the New Testament. Hmm. Another translation of it might be the happy God. Hmm. The gospel of the glory of the happy God. God is a God of happiness and joy. Hmm. And I think that that's... That's a really important thing to be said. And this is then why the gospel is a gospel of joy. God is calling us to be joyful in him. So Jesus says in John 15, verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, he says this to the disciples, that my joy may be in you 
and that your joy may be full. Christ wants his joy to be in us and our joy, therefore, to be full. To have the joy of the almighty God whose joy, whose capacity for joy is infinite. And he wants to share that joy with us. It's pretty powerful stuff. And this should deeply inform how we think of theology, how we think of the task of being pastors, but also uh, as uh, lay people, this should inform uh, the way of life that you live. It should be a life that is marked by a sharp sense of joy. Yeah, and uh, it really prompts us to ask a very serious question of ourselves. So any person listening to this, do you experience joy in the Lord? Um, Zephaniah 3 says that the Lord rejoices over you with singing. Do you really believe that? Hmm. Um, Satan, in his work against us, wants to make us think that we could never experience joy, that God is just cruel, and that you know you've sinned, and until you can fix that sin, you can't have any joy. Hmm. So grace really destroys that lie, um, because, of course, in Zephaniah, there's recognition that Israel is sinning, and yet we see there that God rejoices over his people with singing because he's a God of grace, not just because he looks the other way and pretends that the sin isn't there, but because he atones for the sin through the blood of his own son. And having atoned for that sin, he he rejoices over us having because we are made pure. And um, it's nothing that we do, but I know that at times we can lose sight of this. We in our theologically conservative circles, which are often very law-driven, can forget that God would rejoice over us. I think of something that John Calvin wrote when he was um, contrasting uh, late medieval theology with good Reformation theology. He was saying that, uh, if people were to enter a church in the Middle Ages, they would have been they would have encountered gargoyles and scary images, hmm. um, at times even paintings of hell that mm-hmm. would essentially scare people into worshiping God because they want to escape those gargoyles. They want to escape those demons and those bad things. And so John Calvin looks at these things and notes that people would find themselves worshiping a God that they didn't like very much which is a profound yeah. uh, observation, actually. And so he sought to infuse in the faith of his people, of his parishioners, the grace of God, that God rejoices over us. He is gracious. He is love. He is certainly serious about sin, but he can fix He can fix us. He can change us. He transforms us. And so, therefore... We worship the God who rejoices over us, who cares for us, hmm. um, who helps us, um, like a father. That's why we call him Father. Yeah. And so um, it's it's transitioning from that theology of fear, like we kind of started by talking mm-hmm. about, maybe even fear towards God, yeah, and that's in a good point. and into a theology of enjoyment of God. Right, mm-hmm. right at the center of that, you have joy, of course. And so the question is, do do you enjoy God? Um, I asked this recently in one of my sermons saying, um, do you love Jesus with your heart? 
um, at times we should be filled with love towards Jesus, just like we love a friend. Um, at t- we, we, again, in our theologically conservative circles can just say it's all about faith and knowing. Mm-hmm. No, it is also about loving and enjoying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would even go so far as to say one really isn't a Christian unless you have some enjoyment of God, some love for Jesus Christ. And um, uh, I think that many biblical texts back that up by even just this uh, this John 15 text that, yeah. that Zach referred to saying, your joy, his joy is going to be in us and your joy will be full. And so that's a sign, hopefully, of somebody's assurance of salvation. Yeah, all of this brings up an interesting point, especially by quoting John Calvin just a minute ago. Aren't, aren't we reformed? <laughs> mm. Reformed people aren't, aren't often known as being mm. joyful people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it is a, a sort of native point in our theological tradition. It sort of seems my, to some people like it may be, uh, you know, a foreign idea to, to reform people. Somebody may be coming to a reformed church having grown up in the more broadly evangelical tradition may show up and think, man, this is, you know, this is a little bit joyless. Mm. I don't see anybody clapping their hands. I don't see anybody even really raising their hands. I don't see people running up front when the music starts to sort of, you know, enjoy the moment of worship. It seems pretty dour. It seems pretty rigid. Mm. So what would we say about the reformed traditions position on joy is it a sort of newer position i think your your quote from calvin kind of shows what we may think but Mm. what do we do with the person who says that the reformed tradition doesn't seem very joyful well in our american context it's easy to confuse personality with joy (laughs) so i do think that some people have a personality to show more emotion and that's Mm -hmm. how god made them and that's good um Again, I, sometimes it's helpful to think about the opposite. So I think of grief, mm-hmm. and people will exhibit grief in very different ways from one person to the next. Yeah. Uh, this is something that I'm often counseling people with when a spouse dies is there will be all kinds of expectations on you for when you should cry, for how, for when you should go to your granddaughter's basketball game. To, for like, There's all these mm-hmm. things that... People will say you should or shouldn't do to uh, to show that grief, mm-hmm. and um, some people will will be very publicly sad mm-hmm. about that, and other people will will not exhibit that quite as much, but they might be experiencing just as as much uh, grief and and mourning as the other person who shows it. Yeah. I would say the same is also true of joy, where uh, it we should make space in our reformed churches for those people who want to raise their hands and yeah. want to um, praise God. Uh, their way of praising God with all their inmost being is to sing loudly and weep in his presence in on the Lord's day and um, just get very into it. And that is wonderful. Uh, we shouldn't always be so quick to judge that that's automatically some sort of phony charisma Mm-hmm. that that is happening just because somebody's pressured into it. I think we're far too quick to jump to judgmentalism in that context. Yeah. But 
the judgmental the judgmentalism also exists in the charismatic movement saying you have no joy because you're you don't worship like me mm-hmm. um just like that grieving person should be crying more mm-hmm. um and so if you really loved them you'd be crying more yeah exactly exactly and so that is uh what i would suggest and i think if one were to come to our church uh I do think that they would find people who are very content in the Lord, people who have optimism, knowing that all things are in God's hands. They are deeply grateful for the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. And we have mostly a congregation of people whose personality is to be probably more subdued about that, even Mm -hmm. though that joy really is there. And if you were to talk to them, you would encounter an optimistic joyful christian yeah and part of this you know could be thinking back about our our congregation's historic context and Mm -hmm. our historic denomination and sort of ethnic ties to to europe and to to the netherlands in particular right um yeah so maybe there's just there's other reasons for maybe not communicating or expressing joy in the same way um, and I think we can jump to that too as, an, as an excuse. Yes. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and we can sort of say, and that's the way we are, and mm-hmm. those hand-raising people just aren't going to feel very comfortable here, mm-hmm. which is extremely sad to me. Yeah. Um, again, it's the same thing at a funeral. That's the way we are, and we don't cry at funerals. Yeah. It's really the same conversation, and that is unbiblical, and maybe even a little bit, prideful in one's race, uh, prideful mm-hmm. in one's uh, sort of the collective mm-hmm. value on emotions, which is very mm-hmm. low. Uh, it's maybe a little bit prideful in, in that. And so that can even cross the boundary into sin, yeah. which is to quench the spirit when the spirit is moving. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm just sort of trying to make a broader yeah. point. I oh, think yeah, no, I, I agree with you. There are different yeah. cultures and different cultures sure. expressed joy oh. differently, even though within those cultures there can be very many different kinds of expressions of joy. Totally. Or and there can be different people in those cultures, but cultures do have different ways of expressing, expressing joy. Yeah. We typically think in America we are expressive individualists. We think that expressing joy has to be very clear, has to be very on the sleeve, very emotional, and visible to other people. Um, and so that would be, that's one thing to say about yeah. Reformed theology and its joy. The other thing I think, just as somebody who's read my way in largely into the Reformed tradition, uh, I didn't come through the church door, I came through the, I read books. Through the library door. door. <laughs> uh, I've seen joy all over the place in the Reformed tradition. And mm. one of my early, uh, early, heroes when i came into the the reform tradition through reading was john piper but and so that has sort of colored my whole time in the reformed tradition and we'll get to piper in a second but uh, it has i've seen in the reformed tradition reading the big theological textbooks joy all over the place Mm -hmm. joy at god's magnificence his glory his holiness, his goodness, his love, his sovereignty. These are the sort of things that make the theologians I've read just stop in awe and in wonder. And they will Mm. often say things like that. There's no words to express how magnificent this is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then they just marvel at God. And so I've seen it all over the place. And I think 
one of the reasons, one of the great things about the Reformed tradition is that it has a huge view of God's sovereignty in salvation. And the sal- the Reformed view of salvation is that God unites us to himself. Mm-hmm. And so the whole project of salvation is God bringing us to him. So one one verse that I can remember Piper pointing me to early on was 1 Peter 3.18 where Peter writes, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Those words have always stuck with me, that that is the whole point of Christ doing what he did, to bring us to God. And that is the greatest good of the gospel, that we are brought near to God. We are brought into relationship with God. We are brought into union with him. And so Reformed theology does a really good job of highlighting the doctrine of union with God, mm. both in its its realized setting, now we are spiritually united to God, but also in looking forward to heaven when we will mm-hmm. be with God face to face forever. Uh, one of my professors recently wrote a book on the, uh, the beatific vision and seeing God. Mm. Uh, he wrote a book on heaven, and that's a high, sort of a high point in the book, is that we will see God and be known by God, and we will know God intimately forever. Mm. And that is to be the highest good of everything. And so Reformed theology, as I've read it, has been supremely joyful. Mm. And I can't I can't say that it's not a joyful view of God at all, because it just is. And one of the great things about reading Reformed theology is that it is very clear that joy, Christian joy, is accessible in far more than just Sunday worship. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the the fuller view of life that one gets in Reformed theology is that you can have joy in the Lord at your desk on Tuesday. Yeah. That, you know, you can have joy in the Lord with your family on vacation. Um, that all of these things are blessings of God and are even things that we can learn that they could almost be like parables everywhere Mm -hmm. about God's love for us or God's faithfulness to us or how he calls us to live. And, and you can be seeing these things. There, there's revelation everywhere in God's creation. Mm -hmm. And of course there's special revelation through his word that you can bring with you and read anywhere. Hearing a song, you can have joy in your car as you are Mm -hmm. struck by the grace of God in a worship song. Um, That, that is certainly one thing that I would say differentiates uh, Reformed theology from Pentecostal or hmm. more charismatic theology, which is that yeah. uh, the joy is, I believe, communicated to be more isolated to the worship experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, those churches do also encourage people to read your devotions, but that's almost done out of service, perhaps, to God. Mm-hmm. And um, that can't touch the joy that you're going to feel when you're singing the song here in church. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think a reformed person can have equal amounts of joy in worship at the communion table or around your dinner table with your family. Yeah. Maybe you could say the difference between the reformed and the charismatic viewpoints is that joy for the charismatic is built on the experience. Mm. Joy for the reformed Christian is built on the truth is built on the goodness of the gospel, which yep. is not, not, there's not a point where the goodness or the truth of the gospel isn't 
real and so it can you can yeah. always find joy yeah uh even in the small things um and you can have i think the reformed tradition points out to you to the believer that all of creation is saturated with god and yeah. god's goodness and you can delight in his glory yeah. anywhere and it's supposed to point all back to god yeah and so eat that delicious bite of your cheeseburger and let it be a moment of <laughs> worshiping God for his goodness, yeah. for, for delicious food. Or, Taste and see that the Lord is yeah, good. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> or even eating honey, as the Psalms sort yep. of say. Yep. Um, it's it's sweet, and it's supposed to be a pointer back to, to something even beyond itself. Um, and so the Reformed tradition, yeah, sort of takes all of creation and sees it as a lens through which we can understand something about God, and that's what we call natural revelation. Yeah. It doesn't teach us saving things about God or what he's done for us in Christ, but it reveals things about God that can make us delight in him even more. Yeah, and so uh, maybe shifting gears a little bit into what different great theologians and great thinkers have said about uh, finding joy in the Lord, delighting in his glory— delighting in salvation that he gives us through Christ, mm. delighting in his word. Um, any of your, who would be your favorite theologian of joy, would you say, mm. Zach? <laughs> I really think John Piper is mm. the patron saint of, of <laughs> joyful reformed theology. Definitely. Um, it, it so saturates his thinking from yeah. beginning to end. In fact, it, I've always felt that every John Pipe, Piper book basically is the same yeah, point yeah. <laughs> but he's talking about different things and different applications of that same point and so if you've read john piper uh you know that his famous quote is god is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him and so his whole theology is about being satisfied or being joyful joyfully content maybe in god's goodness to us and in God's goodness and who he is and just enjoying and delighting in God the same way that a husband would enjoy and delight in his wife, Mm -hmm. um, but infinitely more so. Mm -hmm. And so I've seen that and actually it wasn't desiring God that was the most influential book to me early on. It was his book, God is the gospel, uh, which in the beginning of the book, he sort of gives this really interesting word I don't know, or just sort of a, 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 an interesting uh, illustration, I guess I'll say, where he talks about, or he asks the question, would you be happy in heaven if Christ were not there? If you had all the mm. riches you could ever want, all the comforts you could ever want, all the good food, all the nice cars, all the beautiful views of different mm. different things, would you, if you could have all of those things without Christ, would it be heaven to you? If it is, he basically goes on to say, then you you don't really know God. Uh, and so hmm. I have a quote from for that section of the book where he says, Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. Hmm. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the gospel. So wanting God above all things and finding your highest joy in God, that has forever been the sort of pinnacle point of my theological knowledge. Uh, and even though over the years I have, I have 
abandon my sort of Baptist views <laughs> on on baptizing infants or, or baptizing adults, and I've shifted towards a more historic Reformed position and left that part of Piper's thinking behind. This main point of Piper's thought has always been crucial, and so for me, he's sort of my number one guy. Yeah. What about you? Well, maybe we can stay on that a little bit in that let's let's really put some flesh on that principle of John Piper's joy and how it has impacted his ministry. Um, when I listen to John Piper, I do listen to a man who is absolutely full of Christian joy. Mm-hmm. The same, that's one of the reasons I love Martin Lloyd-Jones so much as well, and there's, it's a serious joy. Yeah. And, um, and for both men, they have been very free from accusation of uh, scandal. They've been both very free from accusation of greed and kind of using their fame and their mm-hmm. influence to earn a lot of money. That is not, of course, the case across the board for Christian leaders who become very popular. And anyways, the reason I bring that up is because their joy is in the Lord. And so if their joy is in the Lord, it's going to be their strength against greed. Hmm. When your joy is in the Lord, it's your strength against adultery. Um, when, hmm. when his joy is in the Lord, it's his strength against pride in his ministry, which Piper at one point did confess to, and I think he even took some time out of the pulpit because uh, he was really struggling with his personal pride and he needed to correct that and replace it with joy in the Lord, not joy in self, but joy in the Lord. And so I just bring these things up not to deify or, uh, you know, call call, uh, Piper some sort of perfect person or perfect (laughs) minister, but to use him as an example of how joy will impact a ministry and keep it pure. So his joy is in the Lord. Well, then, what? Why does he need all the money and all the, mm-hmm. um, all the accolades? Yeah, he exactly. he just seems to me to be a man who doesn't need that stuff in order to be happy, and yeah. and so um, it's sort of like Second Corinthians six, right? Having nothing yet, possessing yep. everything. Absolutely, and so uh, that segues pretty well into Jonathan Edwards, who is is one of my favorite ministers who deals with this. I've already quoted Edwards once saying that it's one of his goals to raise the affections of his listeners and by affections we certainly don't just mean emotions um, to manipulate them into lofty emotions but to I like the word affections because it's really about affection of Jesus Christ. It's about affection for God because we know the truth about him and it's so awesome that we love him more and um to use an example of how this played out in Edward's own ministry and life, um, I, I was reading an, an article by Jason Meyer, who is now the pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church, and he notes how Edwards responded to being fired from this church in Northampton, Massachusetts, which is actually quite amazing that that happened. I mean, they saw a revival, an absolutely explosive revival in that church um, while he was the pastor there. <clears throat> And years down the road from that, there was a great controversy because Jonathan Edwards did not believe that any baptized person automatically is welcomed at the table. One must be living a life of Christian fidelity and purity um, 
of course, within reason. Uh, we all sin at times, and we confess that sin, but it's a life of repentance and dependence on God that um, makes one welcome at the table. And so he, Jonathan Edwards, was pushing for that, and the church was basically kind of, kind of saying, no, if they're, if they're baptized, they're in. So he was fired from his church over this issue. Um, the man who saw this amazing revival was fired. And David Hall was a was a church leader there. I believe he was an elder. And he was around Edwards a lot after he had been fired. And um, David Edwards says this about Jonathan Edwards, that um, upon receiving this bad news of the church essentially firing him, I don't know what their term was in those days, um, upon receiving the news, uh, Edwards was unshaken. David Hall says, I never saw the least symptoms of displeasure in his countenance the whole week, but he appeared like a man of God whose happiness was out of reach of his enemies. And so that is that is what Christian joy looks like. It's, um, it's, it's a, not circumstantial. Right. It's a happiness that God gives, and um, the old African-American spiritual says, the, lo- the, the world can't take it away. This mm-hmm. joy that I have... Um, the world didn't give to me. The world didn't give it. The world can't take it away. And so um, that's what s- slaves were singing in on wow. plantations. And uh, that's what uh, we sing with our men in prison, um, that, that there can be a, a real joy expressed even in the most difficult circumstances because, of course, we know our light and momentary troubles are temporary <laughs> and uh, the joy of God's salvation lasts forever. So I love that little quote that Edward's happiness was out of the reach of his enemies. And it's fitting that you mention Edwards because he was, he's always been a sort of spiritual mentor to John Piper. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. John Piper sort of has spent his life studying Edwards Mm -hmm. and will say that he's one of the most influential figures, uh, ever for him. Yeah. Uh, another figure for that was influential in Piper's journey who has been influential in mine is C.S. Lewis. Now, C.S. Lewis is not a reformed Christian. He would have been in the Church of England um, and wasn't really a fan of Calvinism, as far as I know. But many of his his words are very, they fit very well with reformed theology, in particular with this issue. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I love Lewis for so many reasons. He's one of my favorite writers and one of my favorite figures i really am interested in his life especially i just think he's a fascinating character uh and his story his journey from atheism through agnosticism to deism to christianity is really interesting to me Hmm. Uh, he would write um a book that is all about joy called surprised by joy which is his sort of uh spiritual journey and it's Hmm. the, the telling of how he became a christian um, where he talks about the pangs of joy ever since mm-hmm. childhood, sort of having feelings when he would talk, when he would read childhood books or he would read um, about Norse mythology, he would feel this sort of longing for joy and he would feel stings of it as he would grow up. But as he became an atheist, he began to feel it less and less, mm. began to feel like that joy was not possible for human beings. And then finding the gospel and become, becoming what he calls the most reluctant convert of all of England. Mm-hmm. He talks about how that was the finding of joy in his life, which I think is a really cool way of telling his sort of 
conversion story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of my favorite quotes uh, from him that really was helpful for, for Piper comes from his sermon, The Weight of Glory, uh, where he's talking about uh, sometimes as humans, we are we're too okay, we're too satisfied with the fleeting earthly pleasures of this life. So he says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I think that is a beautiful description of what is on offer in the gospel. And sometimes we we think that the the, the trite satisfactions and gratifications of this life hmm. are worth more and are far better than what is being offered to us in Christ. But Lewis saw through that and saw that what was being offered was something far, far better than making mud pies in the slum. And I've always loved that quote so much. Well, it, it's it's a great quote, too, because it's so clear that we're not just forgiven, but we're called into something great as Christians. That is far too often the temptation or the even the mistake of the evangelical is to to just say, um, well, you're forgiven in the world, and someday you'll be in heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this is yeah, it's a theology that often kept people down. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I think of again of the uh, African American experience being slaves in the country and yeah. in this country, and kind of being told the gospel that uh, you're forgiven and, and Jesus died for your sins, and someday things will be really good for you. Um, C.S. Lewis in his teaching calls Christians to an enjoyment of uh, God's presence and even of good things in the world. And Mm -hmm. so he would have been somebody who would have strongly advocated for um, increasing the joy of our neighbors in any possible way. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. uh, It's a fuller picture of joy than we get some of it now. And Mm -hmm. um, really it's like we get almost all of it when we go to heaven yeah. Uh, it's it's something we we can en- enjoy God now. We mm-hmm. we should hunger for a great enjoyment of God now, and even that's love of neighbor is to to seek their good, yeah. um, not just in the spiritual sense, but uh, also in the worldly sense. Uh, yeah. That we would hope that they would have good things like freedom and. Yeah. Um, prosperity and, and things of that that's nature. one of the cool things with his his novels his fiction is that i think he's trying to help us to see the glory and the beauty of our own world hmm. uh, i read a story recently from jake meter's book in search of the common good where he talks about a child reflecting on heaven with an, a man at his church and he says i'm not really excited about heaven and it doesn't seem all that great it seems kind of boring i wish heaven was more like narnia <laughs> and I think what Lewis would say to that child would be that Narnia is supposed to show us the glory and strangeness, the, the weirdness, yeah. but the beauty of our world. It's a little familiar, but it's strange in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. If we don't see our world as being strangely beautiful like we see Narnia, we're not seeing our world properly. Um, we're not, and we're therefore not seeing God properly. Mm-hmm. If we think the world around us is boring and humdrum, 
man, we have become numb to something. Mm. The, the glory of the world, the beauty of the world should point us to God's glory. He's the maker of it. And so if we're bored with walking outside and being in awe of things like leaves and trees and dirt mm-hmm. and grass and even air, yeah, we've missed something. And I think Lewis alerts us to that and helps us to find our joy in God for all of it. Yeah, Edwards is another great one for that, where you yeah, know you would just definitely. look at a spider for a while <laughs> yeah. and uh, write a whole sermon about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, springing uh, off of uh, Lewis, we can go to one of Lewis's favorites, who is John Bunyan. Um, of course, the Pilgrim's Progress has uh, has had great influence on his Narnia stories, um, and so Bunyan. Um, of, of course, one of the big themes in the Pilgrim's Progress is carrying a burden. And the contrast between carrying one's burden and having that burden relieved and being mm. full of joy, uh, being able to walk lightly, being able to 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 go and do the things that we were made to do, mm. that's one of the themes of the Pilgrim's Progress. And um, I don't know exactly where it is in the, uh, in the book because I, I, I pulled it out of its context when I copied it in my notes um but but christian the protagonist of the story is recounting to someone um how he had his his burden relieved and bunyan really does like to draw that contrast between the sadness of humility and repentance um with the the way that god lifts us up and so he's talking about what was happening in his life he says one day i was very sad I think sadder than at any one time in my life, and this sadness was through a fresh sight of the greatness and vileness of my sins. And as I was looking for nothing but hell and the everlasting damnation of my soul, suddenly, as I thought, I saw the Lord Jesus looking down from heaven upon me and saying, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And then um, Christian goes through uh, all these excuses for Jesus. He, he's like, oh, but I'm not good enough. And then, uh, but, but what if you reject me? And um, what, if, uh, what if I just can't get there? Or what if this is a good thing for me and it's, it, it's just not applied to the people that I love? And, and so Jesus answers all his questions wonderfully with scripture um, Bunyan uses. And um, after realizing all who Jesus is and all that Jesus has done for Christian salvation, he says at the end of that little part, and now my heart was full of joy, my eyes were full of tears, and my affections running over with love to the name, people, and ways of Jesus Christ. So um, I was reading that text actually when I was at John Bunyan's grave in um, Bunhill Fields in London and uh, was just really enjoying this awesome uh uh, literature and you know the, it was a beautiful day in May and it was a sunny day but I was sitting in the shade and of a tree there next to his grave and I was even having that experience as well thinking about my sin and thinking about how how great Jesus is so uh, that is a serious joy that we're called to live into as Christians it it didn't mean that I was uh, running around and and maybe I would have looked even a little bit sad to the worldly passerby but um, but I was really awestruck by the glory of God through um, what Bunyan wrote there in The Pilgrim's Progress. 
Yeah, serious joy. Going back to C.S. Lewis and yeah. his letters to Malcolm says, joy is the serious business of heaven, mm-hmm. which I love. And so, yeah, that's a beautiful uh, story. It's a beautiful uh, novel from, from Bunyan. And yeah. saying that, my heart being full of joy, my eyes full of tears, and my affections running over. That's That almost brings tears to my eyes just hearing that because that, I, I think, resonates with how... Mm. I feel about my sin and my joy in Christ for having taken my burden. Um, just now that, now that we're on the theme of just, you know, sharing all of our favorite uh, <laughs> theologians and quotes, I'll, I'll share one more mm. unless you had something nope, more you wanted to say about good. Bunyan. Mm. But I, I really love reading. We, we talked about Bavink quite a bit. Bavink is full of this sort of stuff in his, in his reform dogmatics. You can see that he's sort of bursting over with joy in God. Mm. Um, So one quote, he's talking, it's in book two or the second volume of Reformed Dogmatics. Um, Right at the beginning, it's actually on page 29 of that volume. He's talking about the whole task of dogmatics. His book is called Reformed Dogmatics. So the task of doing theology. And he says, it is the knowledge of him or of God alone that dogmatics must put on full display. By pursuing this aim, dogmatics does not become a dry and academic exercise, which is what most people think of when they think of theology and doctrine. He says it doesn't become a dry and academic exercise without practical fruitfulness for life. The more it reflects on God, the mm. knowledge of him of whom it is his only or its only content, the more it will be moved to adoration and worship. And then a few sentences later, he finishes this, this statement saying, the knowledge of God in Christ, after all, is life itself. And I love that from Bob wow. Yeah. Uh, he's The more we do theology, the more we're moved to adoration and worship. So our doctrine should always bring us around to doxology, to giving worship and glory mm. to God. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, as we, we can, there's so much application in the quotes themselves. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's really a call to delight in Jesus Christ in the gospel and in the word of God, in the presence of God. Um, but uh, we could also ask, how will this then impact how we go through the rest of our day? One way that I think it should impact us is to do what C.S. Lewis calls us to do and get very serious about protecting our joy in the Lord. Hmm. So um, that's what sin ruins. Yeah, uh, Sin ruins your joy in the Lord. Um, or it, it maybe doesn't ruin it completely, but it certainly damages our yeah. enjoyment of God. Um, not only that, but there are, there are ways that we can become, let our guard down um, for allowing different things in our world to invade our joy. So it is essential, of course, that we know what is happening in our world. And yet I think there's a real desire for a lot of Christians in America today to kind of dwell almost masochistically on these bad things and bad theology and Mm -hmm. uh, bad news that is happening in the world. There's a weird satisfaction that is very, very temporary. It kind of gives us a adrenaline rush almost to learn some really bad news um, that in the end will just pull our joy in the Lord uh, down. 
I think a little bit about, I, I was into these cold case files, you know, for a while and uh, true crime stories. And they can be interesting, but if somebody gets really hooked into that, you really do have to ask, ultimately, is this adding to my joy in the Lord? Probably not. It's probably giving me that adrenaline rush of hearing an, uh, an interesting but maybe a very evil story. Mm-hmm. Um, the same kind of thing with a lot of the news that we consume. There could be that dr- adrenaline rush that is actually just going to leave us angry uh, about what's happening in the world, maybe even a little bit angry towards God for mm-hmm. how could you let this happen, God? Yeah. Um, and so certainly I think it's great to be informed, but also you need to protect your, your joy in the Lord by at times turning the TV off and, and yeah. opening uh, the work of a great Christian author or a praise song or, his, of course, the Word of God itself. Yeah, some people make accuse you of sort of abandoning reality mm. and mm-hmm. sort of hiding out with your, your joyful attitude and you're, maybe you're just not really seeing reality as it really is. Yeah. Uh, you're not really looking at the world the way it really is. But if we start from a place of anxiety, fear, of being upset and angry all the time, we are not going to be able to do that what we're called to do as Christians. We have to start from a place of joy in God. That should uh, be a motivator, joy and hope um, and, and happiness, not a false worldly happiness, but a, a happiness in God's majesty and in his sovereignty. Hmm. And that should be a defining feature of Christians, especially in our overly politicized and polarized society. Uh, this can be a way of showing the world a different way. Mm. Uh, this yeah. can be a sort of prophetic tone that we take, one of of joy. Not a joy that doesn't know what's going on in the world, but a joy that sees above it. And yeah, and because we're above it, in a way we see things so much clearer. Yeah. But if you're just stuck in the mire of all all that is uh, you know, kind of wrong in the world without enjoying God, you're going to have nothing to bring to that world. Um, totally. So uh, you know, you, you, we need to be fed by God's Spirit, of course, in worship and regularly in prayer, not just for our own sake, once again, but for the sake of our neighbor who needs to see someone who's really alive. Mm-hmm. And who's not just angry, um, driven by reaction and mm-hmm. driven by what the world says we should be upset about. Um, yeah. it, it's so often the case that when you're filled with joy, you'll be able to help that person who is downtrodden and struggling in a far more productive way, spiritually speaking, than if you knew all the facts about hmm. um, you know, politics and... and uh, yeah what is happening in our world. Um, so if you encounter that person who's really upset by the events of our world, the way to help them is not to fix the problem in the world. The way to help them, I think, is probably to uh, point them to Christ. Mm. And, uh, of course, hopefully the world's problems do get corrected over time in, in some wonderful mm. way that God works. But right now, any person can have joy when turning to Christ. Yeah, that's the offer of the gospel. Yeah. And so we hope that as you've been listening to this, you have found it helpful. Maybe you turned it on not really knowing where it was going to go or not really seeing how it was relevant. <laughs> but 
we hope that in listening to it, you'll see that the gospel is a gospel of joy, mm-hmm. that therefore the Christian life is a life of joy that is not based on our circumstances. It's not based on what we see going wrong around us, but it's based or even going right around us. It's based yeah. on the promises of God and on God's unchanging, immutable character. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. And uh, keep spreading the word about the podcast. We are, yeah. I, I would say, momentum is picking up a little bit, yeah, it feels like. Yeah, to hear from you guys, for sure. And uh, that has been really cool and encouraging for us. And so thank you so much, and God bless you the rest of your day. Yep. See you guys.